Okay, so if I sniffle for the first five minutes of the sermon, it's not because I have a cold, okay? <laughs> that was awesome. That was so good. I was sniffling the first service, too. Um, hey, it's been a great series so far, this series on forgotten virtues. And I really want to encourage you, I really want to thank you um, for your response to this series because over the past month or so, over a month, we've been talking about things like purity and pride and diligence and laziness and all these things. And a lot of times it's like, oh gosh, these are all politically incorrect things to talk about sometimes. But I love the way you've responded, not just on Sunday morning here, but in, in calling me and emailing me and telling me, this is how God has been changing my life. This is what God has helped me to decide. This is what God has decided for me that I should be doing. And, and it's been so exciting for me to see transformed lives instead of people reacting negatively and saying, well, you know, I don't know why you have to talk about that. We're applying it to our lives. You know, it's interesting that you just understand that when I write a sermon, I'm not just writing it for for you. I write it for myself as well. I preach to myself first as I read it through. I, I ask myself, is this an area that you need to work on? Where can you grow? How can you change How can the Holy Spirit transform you, meaning me, in my own life? And so this morning, we're going to continue in this series. I want to read Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17. It says, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. When I was in in Haiti this past year, um, we were working there. It was, it was very warm and uh, we worked really hard. There was a time then we could go out to have lunch. We went to a, a nice restaurant owned by a Christian woman that served really, really good food. It was safe for us to eat. And so we went in there. And if you walk in the restaurant, on the side of the restaurant, there were little windows cut out. And they were, they were open, open air windows. So you can kind of see right through there. The air could get through. It was really for air circulation. And we sat down and we were eating and the meal was good. It was, uh, it was very good. And, and all of a sudden I, I kind of turned around and you got a picture through these little openings without, you didn't see any bodies. All you saw was a hand through the window and the hand just stayed there with the hand open. Like, please give me, please give me some food. And I couldn't see who was on the other side of the wall. I knew it was a small child because of the size of the arm and the hands. But through the different windows, there were just hands sticking through the window. And so, obviously, uh, who, could, who could not put food in a, in a little child's hands who has their arms sticking through the window of the restaurant? And I, I took my plate and I made up a little piece and I put it in their hand. They pulled it through and then another hand would come through. And I have to tell you. The food was good, but the moment I put that little piece of whatever it was in that child's hand, that food tasted great. It was one of the best meals. It made such a difference being able to give to that little child. Even a little bit of food, a little bit of extra food off of my plate was such a blessing to be able to do. And John 3.16, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God gave. We, when we give, we act as God does. 
When we give, we act as God does. God is a giver. God loves to give. He's a giver. And as his people, that should be a part of our lives. It should be a part of our DNA. It should be a part of who we are. We should be givers. God wants us to grow constantly. It's one of the things, God truly wants us to grow in the area of giving, the area of sacrifice, to give of ourselves, not just financially, that's important. That is very important. Jesus talks about that so much in the New Testament, talking about in the Old Testament, but not just in, in, our, in our financial giving, but in our time, in our talents, and of course, in our treasures. God wants us to grow in every single one of those areas. And as we do, not only are others blessed, I mean, the little boy who stuck his hand through the window, or a little girl, and I put that food in their hand, they were blessed. Not only are they blessed, But we're blessed, I think, even more. We're blessed even more. But then I have to ask the question, why is it, why is it, as you go through this in your your practical mind, obviously this is biblical, but practically, why are givers more blessed than takers? Why are givers more blessed than takers? Let me, let me share four thoughts with you this morning of why, why the Bible tells us that givers are blessed more than takers. Number one, they are blessed because they are not destroyed by the power of greed. They're not destroyed by the power of greed. Greed is powerful. Greed is a sin and ultimately destroys the greedy person. It, 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 it does something to your life. When you're greedy, it's like a poison that destroys your life. The Bible ranks, think about this, the Bible ranks greed and covetousness, if you will. The Bible ranks that with immorality, right, and idolatry. And it says that the wrath of God is coming on those who are greedy. The wrath of God in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, it says this. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, we talked about all these things, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one, be dece- let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. God will respond to those who are greedy. And look what it's ranked with, okay? In, in, in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, it tells us, put to death, therefore. What are we supposed to put to death? Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, we talked about that, impurity, yep, um, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. It, it ranks greed up there with all these other things. I think it's so easy for us to point to everything else that's going on around us in culture and say, see, look at what's happening in our culture. But so much of it happens. So much of what happens is because of greed, because of that greed. And it says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Greed leads to destruction. When we are greedy, when we are selfish, when we are self-centered, it leads to our destruction. I love this story. I've been to Nigeria about 12 or 13 times in my life. And I I love the stories that come out of Nigeria. One of the stories that comes out of Nigeria is about um, three men. These three men were poor. And, uh, and they were walking along in a field one day. And they came upon, the three of them all together, came upon a bag of money. All these this treasure. And they were, it was overwhelming for the first time. These poor men, now they were rich. They, they could, they could, all three of them could relax 
for the rest of their lives. Their families would be changed forever. They had this treasure. And so the two older Nigerian men, which is usually what happens, they take the younger guy and they say, hey, here's what we want you to do. Go to town. We're hungry. We're poor. We're hungry. Now we have this money. Take some and go and get us some food and bring it back. So the younger guy's like, yes, yes, that's what we'll do. And he goes to town. And while he's in town, one of the one of the older guys says to the other guy, hey, I got to I got to run something by you. Have a plan. What if we kill this younger guy? Hear me out. We'll kill the younger guy and then we'll only split the treasure in, in between the two of us. You know, we'll have more more for us. Why should we give it to him? He's young. He's dopey. Why we why would we give it to him? Right. So the other guy said, yeah, I like I like your way of thinking when he comes back. We'll kill him. So the young guy's in town. He's getting the food. And as he's walking through the town, he starts to think to himself, you know, if I kill those other two guys, I could get the money off myself. Splitting it one way is a lot better than splitting it three ways, right? You don't have to split it at all. Just keep the money for myself. So while he's in town, he bought buys some poison and he gets the lunch and he puts the poison in the lunch. And when he gets back, he said, he, he, said, he said to himself, I'll just say to them that I have already eaten in town. Here's lunch you guys can eat now. So he puts the poison in the food. He's going back. And as he gets back, no, no sooner does he get back into the presence of these two men that they jump on him. They beat him to death. So he's dead. And they're like, yes. We're going to split it two ways. And what do they do? They sit down and have a nice, leisurely lunch. And so the halfway through lunch, the guy's like, oh, oh, bam, they both die of poison. And because they were greedy, they could have split that money three ways and lived just fine. But because they were greedy, all three of the men died and never got to enjoy their newfound treasure because of greed. See, greed and greed is always easy to see in the other person, isn't it? It's easy to see in the other person because they have something and they're not giving it to you. You have money, you have a cookie, you have whatever, you know, but you're not giving it to me. So you're greedy. I can see your greed. I can point out and see everyone else's greed. The hard thing is to see it in myself. And we've talked we've talked about this over and over and over again. One of the greatest gifts that God can give us is self-reflection. The ability to see this in ourselves, to say, I am the man, I'm the greedy one, or I am the woman, I'm the greedy one. It's so hard to do that. And I was looking, and as I was studying, I found this. Charles Simeon lays out three criteria to help us judge whether we're under the influence of greed. Lays out three different criteria, and he says this. First, that we should examine the manner in which we seek the wealth. The manner in which we seek out the wealth. Okay, so are you willing to, you know, cut corners and cheat other people and, you know, cheat on it? Whatever the case may be, the manner in which you seek the material things. That's number one. You have to judge yourself on how you're seeking those things out. Is it the number one thing in your life? Would you do anything to anyone to get what you need pretty much? And the second thing was the degree to which we enjoy it. it. Of course, we want to enjoy the things that God has given us. If God gives us wealth, wonderful. We should enjoy that. But he's saying the degree to which you enjoy it. Is it consuming you? Is it the number one priority in your life? And the third thing he says, the way we mourn or the way that we, that we are anxious when we lose it, when, when it's taken from us. How do we react when it's taken from us? I have watched people over the last 10 years, from 2007 until now, I've watched people go from 15, being rich, they have 15 or 20 million dollars, okay? 
to having nothing. And he's saying, how do you react when you have it and then you lose it? So we need to be able to reflect in our own lives. Am I greedy? And what in what area am I greedy? The answer to you, are you greedy is, yeah, probably in some people more than others. This may be your besetting sin. And if it is, if it's if it's if you're a greedy person, yep, you got to work on that. But all of us need to ask ourselves, where am I greedy? And where where am I being greedy? Not just with your financial resources, but where am I being greedy in my life? That's number one. Okay, number two. Givers are blessed because giving helps us become more like Jesus Christ. The giver is blessed because we become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is a blessing. In Luke chapter 12, verse 13, this young guy runs up to Jesus and starts to complain. And he says this, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance. He's not dividing it with me. Tell him to divide it with me, right? You would think that Jesus in that situation would do, if, you, if, you, if I just told you that and told you nothing else, your next thought would be Jesus then confronted, usually the older brother, because he got more of the inheritance, that he confronted the older brother and told him, you're a greedy slob, give some to your brother. That's not what happens. Jesus instead gives a warning to the complainer. He says this, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. It's not that important. That is not the be all end all of your life. Luke chapter 12 verse 15. That's when Jesus says that. Be careful. Be careful. Abundance does, it does not life consist of his Let me go back and read that again. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Jesus is confronting him. Jesus is confronting the, the complainer, if you will. Jesus confronts him, and then he goes on to tell a story of a rich man who needs a larger barn. He wants to build a bigger barn to house, if you will, all of his wealth. He just wants to, you know, instead of giving, instead of being generous and giving of what he has, he said, ah, I have a plan. I will just build a bigger bank, if you will, bank fault, a bigger barn to hold all of my wealth. And in Luke chapter 12, verses 20 and 21, this is what it says. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Listen to this. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God, but is not rich toward God. This is how it'll be for all those who store up treasure for themselves, but is not rich toward God. You see, if you are rich, not a problem. As long as you're rich and rich toward God. And as you take your resources and you give, you're a giver, you invest in the kingdom of God. If you do not do that, your riches become your judgment in heaven. You don't want to leave this world with tons of resources and not have lived an honest life, a life of giving, a life of sacrifice, a life of conforming to the image of Christ. 
because it will become your judgment. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, Jesus said this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is our treasure in God? Is our treasure in Jesus Christ? Are we rich toward God? Do we desire to conform to the image of Christ more than anything else? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, you store up treasures in heaven by the way you sacrifice, the way you give, the way you invest in the kingdom of God and in the here and now. The way you store up for yourselves treasures in heaven is by how you and I live our lives day to day right now. That's how we store it up. That's how we do it. We are sacrificial. We are giving. We're not greedy. When Jesus Christ walked the earth, he set the perfect example for us. He set the example the song that says he came from heaven to earth. Obviously, it's a verse in, in, in the word of God as well. But we sing that song. He came from heaven to earth to show the way he came from heaven to earth. What is the big deal about Jesus coming from heaven to earth? He gave up all that he had to come here and to live as a servant to set an example for us. And as we follow his example of sacrifice and giving, we are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Might become rich. Giving makes us more like Jesus Christ. And as we give... As we give and we sacrifice and we invest in the lives of others, not only are those people blessed, but our lives are blessed as well. We become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. The goal of this life, they say sometimes you hear this, whoever dies with the most toys wins, right? Whoever dies the most like Jesus Christ is who wins. That's who wins. You'll be blessed here and blessed for eternity. Number three, giving, giving people are blessed because the giver builds meaningful, deep, intimate, lasting relationships. The giver ends up building deeper, more meaningful relationships. Someone told me the story of the billionaire J. Paul Getty, um, that he would put pay phones, okay? He would put pay phones in his mansion for his house guests to use pay phones. Okay. Cause he didn't want to pay for the long distance calls. Look at his bill. Hey, John made a long distance call, put the pay phones in. You know what I mean? He put pay phones in his house for his house guests to use. Cause he didn't want to pay for their long distance phone calls. Let's just say that did not deepen the intimate relationships he was having with those people. Okay. Because <laughs> you're staying in his house, you make a phone, he puts a, imagine going to someone's house and, well, can I use your phone? Yeah, right over there, see that little booth right there, you can put, you know, a couple of dimes, whatever, <laughs> make a phone call. That's not deepening relationships. I have watched families destroy themselves over the inheritance of their parents. 
the mom dad dies, the, the, the dad dies, someone is the executor of the estate, or maybe there's no one. And so the family starts to go at each other for the resources, whatever's left there, whatever was left. I deserve, I should have. And it starts with, it starts with rings and necklaces and stuff first. People are fighting over that first, and there's relationships being ripped apart because people are arguing, fighting over that. Then comes the money. And the person who's in charge, they want to keep most of it. Somehow they think they deserve it all and they're destroying their family. And so the other two siblings get lawyers and everybody has lawyers now. For years, it's held up in court. The government gets most of the money. The, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the lawyers get the other part of the money. And I have literally watched families spend more money fighting with each other than was in the pot to start with. And their lives and their relationships are ruined. They destroy relationships because of greed. And I'm not saying that everyone involved is greedy because sometimes you're looking at someone and saying, this is just not right. The point is greed in someone, in the case of someone in the family, has started all this and it's destroying people's relationships. Greed destroys relationships in business and in organizations, how how many times have you been in a company where someone is greedy for power, someone's greedy for money, someone's greedy for something in your in your little world there at work and relationships are destroyed or you start an organization? Same thing happens. Someone is greedy for something, for recognition, whatever it is. And the organization is destroyed because of someone else's greed. See, but generosity deepens relationships. Sacrifice builds strong friendships. I remember um, when I was growing up, I've talked about my life before, but my brother and I were separated because my parents were divorced and my mom moved to New York and I live with my mom in New York. So I was a, you know, a northerner, talk like a New Yorker dog and all that kind of thing. Um, I lost it along the way. Sometimes when I start talking fast, you, you guys can pick up on it. But my brother was went to the to Virginia. And so he grew up in the south and he's a redneck and he's proud of it. OK, he's proud of it. So we we were separated from each other. And so when I got married and started having kids and I was old enough to really be able to do things on my own and uh, my vacation days, I would try to go out and, and connect with my brother because we were separated sometimes for years at a time. I didn't even know where he was for like two, two and a half years. So we were separated from each other. We didn't have that deep relationship with each other because we were one in New York and one in Virginia. So I started going out there. And we, my father sold us both 10 acres of land, five, five for him, five for me. And we went and we cut trees down and we were clearing it off and we, we dug out a pond and all kinds of cool things. We were fishing in there and we we're connecting with each other. My brother needed some money, so he sold his five acres of land. Well, our connectedness and having we had so much fun, like fishing together on that property and doing everything that I thought, you know, it, if we're going to continue to do this, it would probably be smart for me to give him an acre of my land. So I wrote up the papers and I transferred one acre of my five into his name. So now we own five acres together, even though it was one in four it didn't matter. He still owned part of that property. Why did I do that? Because my relationship with my brother and hanging out with him and doing things together with him and connecting with him and building a more intimate relationship with him was more important than an acre of land. And it worked out really well. He continued, and I'm sure he may have anyway, but I thought, you know, when you're doing, you understand it's human. When, when you're doing something on our land, it's kind of more fun than doing something on my land, you know? So that's why I did it. 
When we sacrifice, when we give, when we're generous, we build deeper, more meaningful relationships. I love this quote by Winston Churchill. He said, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. Isn't that true? We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Number four. When we give, we are blessed. We are blessed because we reap an an eternal reward. Let me go back and read that Proverbs verse again, 1917. It says, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. There is there is an eternal reward that we get. We get we obviously laid out the kind of rewards, the kind of blessing, if you will, that we get here on earth. But there's also an eternal reward. But here's the thing. Make, let me make this perfectly clear. Heaven, getting to go to heaven is not the reward for being a giver. Heaven is a free gift of God. It is God's free gift based on Christ giving himself on the cross. So God gave his only son, Jesus Christ. Christ gave of himself On the cross. It is because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross that we can have a relationship with God. It is not about me. If I give more, if I do more, if I am more, whatever the case may be, then I get to go to heaven. It's not based upon that. So we have that clear. Okay? It is God's free gift through Jesus Christ and giving himself on the cross. But those who have received God's gift of eternal life will reap rewards in heaven in proportion to their stewardship here on earth. The rewards that we receive in heaven will be based upon how we lived our lives, okay? How, what kind of stewards we were, we were of God's resources while we were here on earth. So it's not a, I do good things, I get to go to heaven. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ I'm going to be in heaven. And now the rewards in heaven come from how we steward God's resources here while we're on this earth. Paul told Timothy, I love this in first Timothy, chapter six, verses 17 through 19. He said, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy, instruct them to do good and to be rich in good works, to be gracious and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasures of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that, which is life indeed. I love that. I love that. We need to be giving of ourselves. That is need. That needs to be who we are based upon what Christ has done in our lives. Because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we should be like him and be givers and sacrifice. And if we have riches, he says, don't be conceited. Don't don't act like your riches are the be all end all of your life. It's not. That's not what life is all about. You have these resources, God says, in order to use them to impact the kingdom of God, to invest in the lives of other people to make sure others are going to be in heaven with you to make sure those who are here on this earth while you're living are taken care of that you care about the people around you you invest in the lives of the people around you that you are loving and concerned and compassionate and kind see the the investment we make in the kingdom of god is priceless it is absolutely priceless the kindness that you show 
while you're here on earth will not be fully realized until you stand before God in heaven. And he shows you he shows you the results of your sacrificial love. That's when you'll truly understand what this is all about. When you stand before God in heaven and he shows you. Okay, when when he opens up, when when that I don't know how it's going to happen, that curtain opens up and you're able to see everything that you've ever done. And God lays out those good things. And Jesus says to you, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I reached my hand through that window and you put some food in my hand. And Jesus says it best in Matthew 25, verses 34 through 40. Listen to this. He says, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Listen, for when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison. You came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to visit you? The king will reply. I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You did it for me. He's going to stand. That's why I said we're not going to understand the full extent of what we have done. He's not going to express it and show you the full extent of what you have done, the love that you have shown until you're standing before him in heaven. And that's what he's going to say. Thank you so much. I I, I couldn't pay this bill and you paid it for me. I I couldn't. I, I didn't have enough food and you provided food for me. I needed some whatever it was, and you provided it for me. You became a friend. You gave of your time when you had very little time to give. You gave of your talents when you had very little time to give it. You gave of your treasures when you had very little treasure to give. Even if you didn't have very much, you, you took what you had, the widow's might, and you gave it out of love. And I want to thank you for that. I want you to bow your heads with me. As we go into this time of communion, as we take communion, I want you to focus on how you can be a giver this week. Now, obviously, we want to be givers every day of our lives for the rest of our lives. But specifically, let's get specific. How can you be a giver of your time to someone this week? Think about that. How can you be a giver of your talents this week? How can you be a giver of your treasures this week? God wants us to grow in this area of giving because it helps us become more like him. So how can you give of your time? How can you give of your talents? How can you give of your treasures this week? You know, a simple way maybe that we, we look at that list of finishing off that missions house that we have. Steve and Christy are coming home in July here. We need to finish off the house so they have somewhere for their kids to sleep and they have some, make sure it's all decked out so they can come home and not worry about a thing and just live in that house. Look in the bulletin. It's in the bulletin. There's some items there. Let's just finish it off. Let's just get it done today, tomorrow. Let's Let's get it out of our way. Let's just be givers. What can you do to be a giver this week? 
Because as we as we take communion, communion is about remembering what Jesus Christ has done to remember him. So as we remember him, let's put that into action. Let's become more like him. I'm going to read as we go into communion. First Corinthians chapter 11, start in verse 23. As I read this, I want you to be focusing on the words. And then I'm going to pray for the bread and for the cup. When I'm finished praying for the bread and for the cup, you don't have to wait for anybody else. You can just get up, go to the back, take the bread and the cup, sit down. You can take of the bread, take of the cup without waiting for anybody else. Allow the spirit to lead you after you're finished praying and deciding how you're going to share, how you're going to give of your time, talents and treasures this week. Then take of the bread and take of the cup. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father God, we thank you for this time that we can spend together. We thank you for the series and the challenges it is to each one of us to live a life of purity, to overcome the pride that seeps into our lives, to be diligent and not lazy, to be givers and not takers. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and for giving your son, your one and only son. We thank you for his body, which was given for us, that we could have a relationship with you. We thank you for this cup, which represents your blood, which was shed for us. Christ gave of himself for us on the cross. He covers us. He covers our sin with his blood that we could enter into a more intimate relationship with you into the holy of holies that we could have a relationship with the living God because of what he has given for us. We thank you for his blood and we pray that we would offer up our bodies as living sacrifices, that we would give of ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. May this be our spiritual act of worship this morning. We love you. We thank you. And we praise you for this time as we remember your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen time that we can spend together as a family. Thank you for taking, allowing us to take seriously each of these virtues, Lord, that we've talked about so far. How desperately we want to be more like you and the fight that we go through to be more pure. The battle we face to put aside our pride. The strength that it takes to not be lazy and to be diligent. the discipline, the sacrifice it takes to be a giver instead of a taker. But we're up for the challenge, Lord God. We don't want to shrink back, be conformed to the pattern of this world, but we want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, becoming more like your son, Jesus Christ, each and every day. And that happens as we take on these bigger challenges and we overcome them in time through your Holy Spirit.
Help us, we pray. We desperately need it. In a world that is pushing in, help us to push back, not through our own strength, but through the power of your resurrection. As we remember you, help us to be strong. Help us to be loving. Help us to be kind. Help us to be disciplined. Because we know as we are, we build your kingdom. Because we desire your kingdom to come. You are with us now, Lord God. We pray that we would expand it. Your kingdom come in our lives. Your kingdom come in this church. Your kingdom come in our community. Your kingdom come in our country. Your kingdom come around the world. Let us be a part of continuing to further your kingdom and the cause of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Have a great, great week.